I have no doubt that many of us in recent days have probably had our eyes glued to the phone or to the TV or to the computer, reliving the events of 20 years ago on 9-11. I can remember where I was like it was yesterday, who I was with, what I was doing, um, where I was, what I was feeling. Uh, memory can be painful at times, but it's necessary. And there have been a bunch of stories that have been surfacing and swirling through the, the internet and social media. And there was just one in particular that kind of struck a chord with my soul in these recent days. You probably know it well, but there were just a few details that I actually didn't know about. It, it's the story of Todd Beamer, who was on board United Airlines Flight 93 that day, which was hijacked and heading for Washington, D.C. in about 20 minutes from its intended destination. And... What I didn't know is we actually have the transcript of the final phone call that he had with an operator before they tried to successfully lead a plan to deter the plane from its intended destination. And it's amazing. He, his final words are like, uh, can you please do something for me? Can you please call my wife and, and let her know that I love her? I have two boys. These are their names. These are their ages. Can you let them know I'm proud of them? Uh, my wife is pregnant with our third child. I don't know the gender yet, but can you let her know the ultrasound is beautiful? And, and one more thing, he said, will you pray with me? And they prayed the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23 together. And those are the final recorded words that we have of Todd Beamer. Someone once said that prayer is reversed thunder. And in the book of Revelation, there's this wonderful moment where the praises of heaven quite literally go silent so that God can hear the prayers of earth. Reverse thunder. And I like to imagine the praises of heaven going silent in that moment as this person and Todd prayed on the airplane some 20 years ago. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and keep on praying on all occasions. As we come to this prayer in Ephesians 3, the occasion seems to be one of discouragement. Paul is writing to Christians in Asia Minor who are starting to realize that there can actually be a great cost to following Jesus. In fact, it was Jesus himself who said, if anyone wants to come after him, me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And Paul himself is writing from prison. And so Paul urges them. He tries to encourage them right before our prayer. I ask you, please do not be discouraged because of my suffering. We're struck that at some point in the Christian journey, you or I are bound to become discouraged. <laughs> and at some point in the Christian journey, you or I are bound to walk with some people who have become discouraged. It's too hard. It's not worth it. I just don't see the credibility in it anymore. How could this happen? How long, O oh Lord? How should we pray when we're in that place? For what should we pray? When we're walking with others, what should we pray for them? There's lots of legitimate answers that the Bible gives. A, a diversity of prayers that, that gives expression to the diversity of our emotions and our human experience, our anger, our frustration, our wondering, our confession, our lament. Yet Ephesians 3 gives us one answer to add 
to that. Paul prays for the inner strength to know Christ's love and to be filled with God's fullness. Oftentimes we want to fix the situation, <laughs> fix ourselves or fix others or, or fix the situation or fix the problem, but I wonder if we reframed the conversation when we found ourselves in these seasons, not how can I fix the problem, but what does God want me to receive in order to be faithfully and redemptively present? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. himself said, it's only through an inner spiritual transformation that we gain the strength to fight the evils of the world with a spirit of humility and love. And so Paul prays, Lord, give us that inner strength to know the love of Christ and to be filled with God's fullness. So let's take each of those statements in turn here. The inner strength. This is the crux of the prayer. Paul mentions it a number of times. He's asking for strength, for power, for spiritual energy. Verse 16. I pray that out of the riches of his glory, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then verse 17 and 18. And I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love may have power. It's not a divine fiat which circumvents human limitations. It's a divine power which works in and through them. It's not a divine kind of rupture that overwhelms our human capacities and powers and intellect. It's a divine presence that comes to reside in us, to dwell within us mysteriously, and to strengthen us internally, and to quicken us and focus us spiritually. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure in jars of clay so that we know that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart because though outwardly we are decaying, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So the inner strength and renewal of which Paul speaks is here the direct result of the personal, divine, Trinitarian indwelling of human persons. Verse 17, that Christ himself may dwell in your hearts. And the verse just before that, that the Holy Spirit may dwell in your inner being, the depths of your humanity. This is, Paul is using language that's kind of like the pre-Freudian language for the deepest depths of the human psyche. Paul is saying that we need an inner strength that matches the nobility of the calling that God has placed upon our lives. A divine call requires a divine enabling. And our calling takes a manifold of forms. Some of us have been called to be husband and wife. Some of us have been called to be students and teachers. Some of us have been called to be employers and employees. Some of us have been called to be parents and children. Some of us have been called to be disciples and to be friends. And if we try to live that on our own, our lives will ultimately end up being fruit fruitless and frustrating and fatiguing. And they will lack the aroma of Christ. And so Paul prays, I pray that you would know the inner working of God in the inner depths of your life so that you would have a spiritual strengthening that enables you to live into the calling that God has placed upon your life. 
I just want to pause for a moment here and ask you, where do you need strengthening in your life? Spiritually, emotionally, relationally, vocationally. Where are you weak? Where are you weary? Where are you prone to wander? Lord, I feel it, as the song says. I know there are people in our church who have recently lost children, who are caring for aging parents, who are raising struggling children, who are walking through mental illness, who are teaching through COVID, who are picking up the pieces for those who have made poor and painful decisions. I wonder if just for a moment you could just open your palms to the Lord in a spirit of receptivity. Whatever that place where you need strengthening, I want to pray for you that God, out of the riches of his glory, may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being and that Christ Jesus himself would dwell in your heart. Paul prays for strength, but it's a particular type of strength. He wants us to have the strength to know the love of Christ. Verse 17, and I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love may have power together with all the saints. Notice how this is something we know as a community. (laughs) To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I think Paul actually means what he says here. (laughs) Not only can we experience inner strengthening, God-given strengthening, but we can experience a life where we are consciously and continually aware of our being fully and unwaveringly loved. We don't have to search for it. We don't have to earn it. We're already in it. We just need the Holy Spirit to attune us to it. And so Paul prays that we would know the love of Christ in all its dimensions. But if you're anything like me, when you hear the word love, you go, well, what is love? What is its quality? What is its character? Thomas Aquinas once said that love can be described as having two aspects to it. It has the aspect of seeking the good of another person. And it has the aspect of wanting to be united to another person. So, so let me try to illustrate this. The first aspect, I, I was in Vancouver taking the bus to work um, one day, and it was raining because it does that in Vancouver about 360 days of the year. And um, I saw an elderly woman on the side of the road who was waiting at the bus stop holding her umbrella, rain pouring down, but her shoe was untied. And there was a younger man who was standing next to her, and instead of just letting her go on, he saw that her shoe was untied. And so he stopped her before she went any further and knelt down on his knees on, on the wet concrete and sidewalk and tied her shoe for her. She was too old to be able to tie her own shoe. That's love seeking the good of another person. The second aspect, I, I remember there was an elderly Scottish woman who finally had succumbed to dementia she was once so talkative and witty, and, and, and now she could no longer hold a conversation. But her husband, as he was caring for her in that final year of her life, he kind of noticed something. He said the only time when she seems to be anywhere near coherent is when she's praying. 
And so what did he do? How does he connect with his wife? For the last year of their marriage, the only way they could talk is they would spend time praying together. Every day, connecting with one another in the presence of God. See, that's love seeking union with another person. See, love in the Bible is not principally an emotion. It's an action that leads to a flourishing, a being with. It's concrete, and it's often a costly action because we live in a world that's trying to tear us apart. But it, it's an action that flows directly out of the goodness and the, and the generosity of one's character and inner life. God, who just is pure goodness and generosity, or those who he has made in his image and has imprinted his, imprinted his goodness or generosity on them. The first aspect of love, Jesus lays down his life for his friends and takes away everything that keeps them away from God. That's love seeking our eternal good. And then Jesus calls us to follow him, to keep company with him, to abide in him as he abides in us. And that's love seeking eternal union with us. When we suffer or someone we know suffers, we can find ourselves doubting this love. Like Job, we cry out, how can this be, Lord? And we can often feel ourselves alone before God, um, nothing can take away that pain that we feel except God himself. He has to reassure us of his love. He has to remind us of his love. He has to quiet us with his love. It's only then that whatever suffering or discouragement or wherever we find ourselves or sitting with another person can actually become an opportunity to be, as Paul prays, rooted and grounded more deeply in love. And so Paul prays that every moment of every day of our lives, God would give us that inner strength to know and believe that Christ really does love us at the core. I cherish this little prayer from St. Augustine from his confessions where he talks about God enabling us to reach out and grasp his hand of love, which has already grasped us. And so he says this, Enable me, O Lord, to love you with all my strength, that I may clasp your hand with all my heart. Hmm. See, Paul wants us to be strengthened so that we can know this love in the core of our being. And then as we know that love, we are day by day renewed inwardly and filled to all the fullness of God. Verse 19, that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. To be honest, I'm, I'm not sure I really understand all that Paul means there. In one sense, I think none of us do. <laughs> That's a journey of eternity. Here we come to pierce the depths of divine mystery. There's a sense in which I feel like even as a preacher, I can't go any further here. I can't speak anymore on this ground. We're just left wondering and desiring and, and rejoicing when we get a little piece of it. Really, Paul, filled with all the fullness of God? I mean, I find myself sitting there with Mary in astonishment. Lord, how can these things be? 
Once again with Mary, I think our only option is humility, the, the humility of obedience and faith. I don't know how this can be, Lord, but yes, let it be to me according to your word. Somehow, even though we live and move and have our being in God, even though, even though the whole world is shot through with the presence of his glory, even though we're told that he resides, he dwells in us, somehow there is more of God that he liberally wants to reveal. And there is more of God that he generously wants to give. So we pray. Lord, give us the inner strength to know the love of Christ and to experience all your fullness. As I was praying through this prayer this last week, there were two questions that kept came, coming up in my own soul as I was sitting with it and as I was trying to sit with others in my heart and mind with it. <laughs> two questions that I just want to raise with you in conclusion here. And by the way, questioning is not contradictory to prayer. <laughs> Prayer is actually the proper context for questioning. <laughs> the first, Paul's prayer is so grand, and my life often feels so mundane. It rarely feels like the fullness of which Paul prays. How do I reconcile that tension? How do I live in that tension? You see, I think there's a couple ways we could approach this question, um, but I think one part of the answer just comes with who God is. God's majesty and glory, which the Bible tells us fills the whole entire earth, is often hidden in humility. God's majesty is often hidden in humility. That's one of the marks of the incarnation. Heaven embeds itself into the ordinary. So Jesus, um, he attends weddings, he cooks breakfast, he travels, he sleeps, he fetches water at the well, he spends time with friends, he even takes naps on boats. He plays with children. He slips away to a quiet place when he needs to recharge. Jesus lives a fully human life, consecrating every aspect of our ordinary days and routines with his sacred presence. God's majesty is often hidden in the humility of our lives. It's there, but we can't always see it. And I think part of the answer also has to do with us learning to pray, with us learning to practice the presence of God. So prayer not only opens the eyes to be able to see the power of God at work in our lives. I love what Ann Voskamp says in her gift, like 1,000, in her book, 1,000 Gifts. She, she talks about learning to see God's glory reflected in the soap suds in the kitchen sink Washing dishes after dinner is an act of spiritual formation. Prayer helps us see God in places we wouldn't expect to see him, but he's really there. But prayer also itself is the experience of heaven in the ordinary. It itself is the fullness of life. It itself is just simply communion with God. And so how do I start learning to pray if, if that's something I'm struggling with in this season? First of all, you should listen to Todd's adult education talk, and, and he's got a lot of great stuff for you in that that he just gave. But, but two things I'll add to that is, is there's a scheduled form of prayer that can be really helpful. Um, and here I'm just going to talk about kneeling prayer because Paul himself says, I bow my knees before the Father. And in the ancient world, that would have been actually striking. 
because most people prayed in Jewish culture standing up, hands raised to God, a posture of openness to the Lord. So kneeling is showing a particular sense of urgency and, and special dependence on God. And I think there's something about a physical action, because we are whole people, psychosomatic wholes, the body affects the soul, soul affects the body, when we kneel, that helps us in the posture of prayer. And so a simple thing that I've tried before is just kneeling prayer three times a day. When you get out of bed for two minutes, at your lunch break for two minutes, and before you get into bed for two minutes. Just getting on your knees before the Lord. Practicing his presence. Another thing to try is maybe continual prayer. There's a great tradition of this throughout the church. Like Paul says, pray without ceasing, pray on all occasions. So like, what does that mean? Well, often you can just repeat, you can just memorize a really simple phrase and then just let that lead you through the day. So, oh Lord, make spade to save me. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. Or Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Oh, Spirit of God, blow on my little life. You're having coffee in the morning. Blow on my little life that I may drink in your great life. Or here's the simplest one of all. Spirit of God, hold me together. How's that for a prayer and anxiety? My friend gave me that one. Spirit of God, hold me together. So that's the first question. Like when there's this tension between what Paul prays and the way I actually experience my life, how do I, le- how do I live in that tension? And the second question is, um, Paul states pretty boldly in verses 20 and 21 that God's ability to answer prayer and more is there. Like he states really confidently that God's able to answer prayer. So what do I make of this in light of the fact of the lived experience of unanswered prayer? First, I just want to start with an acknowledgement, because there's a lot of pain here. Each one of you could probably sit for about 60 seconds and come up with a list of unanswered prayer. And if you tried to write the emotions to it, you may not get through it. I prayed for healing, and I'm still waiting. I prayed that my son would not die, and he did. I prayed for my marriage to last, and it didn't. I prayed to be married, and I haven't. I prayed that my father would know the Lord, and, and he never did. Unanswered prayer hurts. It's raw, and it brings out the deepest emotions. We just need to acknowledge that. And with that, I just want to offer three humble observations for, for maybe for you to try on or consider. They're not set in stone, but they're worth considering. Unanswered prayer is part of living in the already and not yet of God's kingdom. His kingdom is here and it's still coming. We are redeemed and yet we still groan with all creation for the fullness of our liberation and redemption. So unanswered prayer is part of living in already and not yet of God's kingdom. Second observation, unanswered prayer is what makes lament a legitimate and biblical form of worship. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? Unanswered prayer is what makes lament a legitimate and biblical form of worship. And third, unanswered prayer is just a mystery. We don't like that word as moderns. It feels like a cop-out. Or it feels unsatisfying. Or mystery, even worse, brings us face-to-face with the fact that we are not in control of our lives. 
and that prayer is not a means by which we control God, but is a means by which we are present to him and he to us in every situation of our lives. That was Job's experience. He did not receive a grand revelation of why he went through so much suffering or why there was so much injustice in the world or why there was so much waiting. Job just just had a revelation of God. God was there and he was never not there. And God created the heavens and the earth and, and his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And so we learn that we cannot limit God in the moment no matter how painful that moment, to what we understand or feel. Because God's power is in work in us in ways that are far more than what we can imagine or think, says Paul. So Paul was wrestling with these things when he wrote another letter to the Romans, and he said, what should we do with these things? Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sort of discouragement? And Paul's answer is just no. It can't. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would enable us, that you would strengthen us to clasp your hand with all our hearts and to praise, embrace your love with all our being. And this I pray in Jesus' name.